Welcome, everybody. Mike Siggers from TravelingGolfer.com. And tonight we're talking to a man that has two names. By day, he's Terry Kaler, president of Idol and Golf. And by night, the Internet knows him as the Wedge Guy. Coming to us live from Victoria, Texas, Terry, welcome in. Well, thank you, Mike. It's uh, nice to be able to visit with you about golf and wedges and whatever else you have up your sleeve. <laughs> well, we've got a few things we can talk about, but uh, uh, we talked just before we started. I've only been home about 45 minutes to an hour, and I got a chance to put the idling wedges to use today, and anybody that reads Traveling Golfer sees a link out of all my posts that I play back to those wedges. And uh, one of the things we want to talk about is bounce, and we'll, we'll start out by saying this. A uh, friend of mine has a very yippy chip game and pitch game and sand game. He He's played so bad over the years that uh, that he's given himself the yips in his chips. And today he hit into a bunker, and, and I looked, and he grabbed a 56-degree Loki wedge and headed to the bunker. And knowing that it has rained here about five out of the last seven days, I knew the sand wasn't going to be hard-packed, but I knew it wasn't going to be fluffy uh, Augusta-type sand either. So I waited for him to go over, and I knew he was going to skid into his ball, and he was going to hit it over the green, so I got out of the way. And there it went. And you could hear the thump. And I threw him another ball, and I said, here, you know, try it again. Try something. So he tried something else. And after two balls, I said, now let me show you something. So I took my 60-degree idling wedge. I opened it way up. I aimed about uh, 45 degrees with my body away from the target. I put the ball up on my front foot, and I swung with a tremendous amount of speed. ball flew about five feet past the hole. It was about a 60-foot sand shot. It hit about five foot past the hole, not six foot past the hole, spun back one foot and stopped. And he says, how'd you do that? <laughs> and I said, well, my buddy, the wedge guy, taught me that. And it only works with a real wedge and not that thing you got. So we went back in the trap. I gave him my 60 degree. And three shots later, he hit one to two feet. Well, I like to hear that. That means that you're reading what I'm writing. Yeah, I listen, I read, I pay attention, and then I go practice and try it. You know, reading and all that raw natural talent doesn't hurt. There is a tremendous lack of talent in my body, and only through uh, great instruction have I been able to make it at least serviceable. But you know, that's one of the things I know for a fact. My friend has read every golf magazine and watched Golf Channel at night and done everything he could do to to clutter his mind with all these thoughts. But there, he didn't. He didn't know about the sand being a little hard, and he didn't know. He doesn't know the difference in the bounce on his wedges. So that's what we're here for. Can you clear that up for us? Yeah, I'd love to, Mike. There is so much misinformation and, and really confusion about bounce and and wedges and and what kind of bounce you ought to have. And categorically, the industry gives us wedges and, and talks about low bounce and high bounce, and that bounce is the down, if you're looking at the wedge from the toe, let's say at the what I call the worm's eye view, and you're looking right down the scoring line, the downward angle from the leading edge to the back edge of that sole is what's called bounce. And it acts like an airplane wing where it causes the club head to reject back out of the turf that causes resistance. The lower bounce angles obviously have a minimal amount of this rejection quality, the higher bounce wedges have a, have a more uh, a stronger, higher amount of this rejection quality. So the industry offers this wide array of wedges, typically low bounce or high bounce, 
and then you see these medium numbers, and then there's this thing that we've all heard about called tour bounce. Let me start there. If you don't make your living on the PGA Tour, you don't need a tour bounce wedge. That, that design is designed for the 100 or 50 best players in the world who play very tight fairways. They play bunkers that are much like the one you described. The PGA Tour standard is the bunkers have to be watered down. They have to be firm so these guys can spin the ball out of it. A lot of people don't realize that, but watch TV and you very rarely see some of these plugged lies like we all get in these soft, fluffy bunkers because those guys don't play them. And they have extraordinary skills. This tour bounce wedge is designed for that. I always tell people there's an acid test for tour bounce. Do you practice three hours a day with your wedges? Do you play PGA Tour quality courses every time you play? And would you take on Tiger and Phil in $100 a shot up and down contest? And if the answer to those is no, then you don't need a tour bounce wedge. <laughs> but where the, golfer, where the golfer gets trapped is in the store, he has to choose between a high-bounce wedge, which they say is for soft turf, and a low-bounce wedge, which they say, and they meaning Cleveland and Titleist in their own website uh, and, and everything else you read out there, and low-bounce is for tight lies, high-bounce for fluffy turf. Well, I don't know where these guys play golf, but every course I've ever been on had tight lies, fluffy lies, average lies. It had every kind of lie out there. So choosing in the store tomorrow the kind of wedge that you're going to need for a shot four months from now behind some green at a course you've never played, it's going to be a pretty hard challenge. And I was frustrated with that uh, in the part of the country that I played golf in 15 years ago because our ground gets very firm when it's dry like it is now. But when you get a rain on it, it just turns to mush, and that presents a real challenge. So I started welding and fiddling around and created this thing called the V-Sole, and what it is is it's got a low bounce characteristic in the main part of the sole, but the very front of the, of the sole, the first quarter of an inch to the leading edge, has a very aggressive high bounce angle. And that allows this club to be versatile, which is what we want from our scoring tools. You've experienced it. We get rave reviews from our customers. You know, we're taking on a couple of giants with Cleveland and Titleist and then all the second-tier wedge companies, Ping, Mizuno, Callaway, Cle- you know, all of these guys. But everybody tries our wedges just rants and raves about them because it is a wonderful product. And, and so bounce is a very personal thing if you're in, lost in the, in the conventional world. But in the Eidolon world that we live in, bounce is a very versatile thing. As you know, that wet bunker, if the very next bunker would have been fluffy, you, you know from experience that bunker handles, I mean, that wedge handles that kind of sand just as well. So choosing a bounce in the store, very tough to do. Choosing an Eidolon club, shameless plug for me there, but it really does make wedge play much easier. There is, uh, there's no doubt that, uh, what is it, 70% of all shots come within wedge distance of the green? Well, if you think about your average round of golf, you take out drives and you take out uh, putts. So let's say you hit your tee ball 14 times, not counting par threes, you take out 32, 34 putts uh, if you're a reasonably good putter. So there's 50 shots there. If you're shooting uh, 90, that's 40 shots, 14 of which were approach shots uh, you know, into the green. So there's a lot of wedge shots out there uh, for the average player. And, and handicaps aren't changing in this country. You're not going to find a driver that's noticeably longer than whatever you're playing now. If you want to lower your scores, it's really going to be done from 100 yards and in. 
and I think if you're playing uh, average golf, and I, and I say really good quality golf is anything in the 80s and low 90s, you're going to find that you hit 12 to 20 wedge shots around, and and it's hard to score a hole when you're on that second and third wedge shot on the same hole. So if you have a wedge in your hand, uh, your your standard should be 90% of the time, 80% of the time, 98% of the time, depending on your handicap level, if you put a wedge in your hand, your next shot should be a putt. It really should be. So uh, yeah. it's a very important part of the game. You've got to be a sin or something close to it to hit a wedge twice on the same hole. Yeah, and it's a, it's a round killer, but it happens. You know, you, you miss the green with a pitching wedge shot, and you hit it in the bunker. You stole that one out of the bunker. You hit another wedge shot. Next thing you know, you've hit three or four wedges on that hole. And guess what? That's going to be a big number any way you slice it. Yeah, the, you know, as long as those shots from, from 60 yards and 20 yards and 30 feet all count the same as a 270-yard drive, <laughs> you really need to pay attention to the wedge you're using and how to use it. And uh, another shameless plug for, for one of your products, uh, my friend uh, has a has a yippee, you know, 60-yard and in kind of swing where he kind of tries to uh, – to uh, gauge his distance by how hard he was swinging a nine iron, and I'm like, oh my God, wait, stop, come here. And I took an idling wedge over there with your grip on it, and I showed him. I said, now, how far do you normally hit a 52 degree? And he's like, 105. Okay, I said, okay, this is 80 yards. See these rings? Grip down two rings and swing just as your normal swing. And he's like, was it going to go? And I said, no, it's not going to go. Trust me, swing it. And he hit it, and it bounced up about two feet and 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 released out because of. Uh, downwind and down grain it released out about six foot past the hole and he says how'd i do that and i said well <laughs> those little rings down there you know are anywhere around 10 or 15 yards depending on each person's swing and my friend terry uh, designed these grips and he's like can i get some of these and i said yeah you know i think he sells them on idolin.com so i said well let me look tonight and i've got a copy of his book i'll bring that to you next time and teach you how to do this and about three holes later from some of that he was throwing 60 and 80 yard little pitches into uh, six and eight feet, and I've never seen a smile that big on somebody's face. And I thought, oh, God, I've created a monster. <laughs> well, we call that the SCORE method, uh, SCORE being an acronym for shot control routine. And there really is, it's, golf can be a simplified game. And if you grip down on any club in your bag a half an inch to three quarters of an inch, you're going to just about cut in half the, the distance gap between that club and the next shorter one. And, and you don't have to learn all these partial swings and this kind of thing. There's so much to precision in wedge play, but these are things you can learn. They don't take hours and hours and hours. Um, I was playing golf yesterday afternoon. We have a group of us that, that meets up and plays late in the afternoon at our club. And, and I played with a couple of guys. I, don't, I know them, but I don't play with them very often at all. And John hits the ball a ton. And, you know, I'm out here, and, and I'm a low single-digit player, and he's a 14, and, and we're out in the, in the fairway at about the same place. And I've got a uh, seven iron in my hand. I'm going to hit a nice little soft seven, grip down about a half an inch uh, from about 148. And, and he's out there with a nine iron. And I said, you know, John, if you can hit a nine iron consistently from 148, more power to you, but I'm betting at a 14, you can't. And I said, I, I really believe if you would learn how to hit that nine about 135 and, and find the swing that does that and then apply that swing to all your iron shots, you're going to find your consistency getting dramatically better. Um, you know, there are no, there are no extra points. If, if you hit the green with a nine iron and I hit it with a seven, you don't get extra points because you did it with a nine. And, and, you know, we read about distance and distance and distance all the time. 
But, you know, golfers are trying to hit it too hard because we have that shove, you know, at us everywhere we turn, and we see the tour pros hitting the 185-yard seven irons. And we, But they're tour players, and those yardages the TV guys tell you aren't always accurate, and they don't tell you whether it was downhill and downwind and the firm green. And, you know, like in, in the Open two weeks ago, and they made a big deal out of Watson with this eight iron from 185. Well, he was straight downwind, and if you noticed, he had a great eight iron that landed about 30 yards short of the hole and then rolled all the way through the green to the back. So he wasn't trying to fly that ball 185. He was trying to fly it 150, 155, and he did. He had a perfect shot, and it just hit a little firmer than he would have liked it to, and I think the rest of the free world would have liked it to. But, um, you know, distance is a deceiving thing, and and uh, if you want to really know the, the importance of accuracy, and we're getting off of wedges here, but... I read a blog uh, column on thewedgeguy.com a while back, and I said, if you want to really find out how important driving accuracy is, um, next time you play golf in the afternoon, you play nine holes, every time you miss a fairway, go get your ball, walk straight out into the center of the fairway and backwards 15 yards and put it right in the middle and watch what you do with your scores if you never have to hit an approach shot from the rough, even if you're playing them all from 15 yards back. And, and you'll be surprised what difference that makes. The driver is the first scoring club. It's put it in play. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of guys out there that will blast out there trying to have a wedge to a green when, when they could hit a controlled three-wood and have an eight-iron into that green. And, you know, even most mid-handicap players, you know, 12s and 14s, if you, if you get to play the golf course in the middle of the fairway at, at six to eight-iron range, you're going to shoot a pretty decent score. Yeah, it's a. I'm taking notes over here, and I just wrote that down. The driver is the first scoring club, and that's going to be that's going to be one of the bullet points when I post this on my blog. That's going to be one of the uh, the pieces of text there to uh, attract people in because it's true. We played. What was it? Two years ago that you were in Louisville for the uh, for that show. I think that so. Yeah. Through? I took an inch out of my driver after we played that round over there at Neville Mead that day. And uh, I'm a, and when you said how many times you hit it, I'm not scared to hit my driver anywhere. I'll, I'll hit it all 14 times unless it's you know some kind of crazy hole. But uh, I never worry about it being it might go a wee bit left and it might go a wee bit right. But that inch took those 20 and 30 yard left and those 20 and 30 yard right shots out of there. So I don't uh, I'm uh, I'm down about uh, 10 yards from my average, you know, it went down from 270 to 260 on my average swing, not trying to do anything extra with it, but I'll hit 14, you know, 13 and 14 fairways around, and it just plays so much easier than it does, you know, even if I miss the fairway five feet, it's a lot easier from that little spot than it is from 25 and 30 yards right. Well, let's talk about drivers for a minute, Mike, because it is the first scoring club, and you know, we get lulled to sleep by these big 460cc drivers that we have and, you know, 45 inches long. And, and the average golfer cannot handle a 45-inch driver. But um, and, and even the, the best tour players don't handle them all that well if you look at fairways and regulation. But even with these big heads, a half-inch miss from the center of the face is a 7 to 9% distance loss. Okay, this is what the machines show us. So if you miss the sweet spot a half an inch, you're going to lose 7 to 9%. Now, to get that 7 to 9% back, you've got to pick up about 10 miles an hour of club head speed, and that's a lot. That's an that's a 8, 9, 10, 12% increase in club head speed for most players. Yeah, that ain't if, you in, 
And that ain't going to happen. And that isn't going to happen with an extra inch on your driver. You're going to pick up two or three miles an hour tops. Now, here's the other thing. A three-quarter inch miss is a 12 to 14 percent distance loss. Now, three-quarters of an inch, hold your fingers up. That is not very far. And you will feel a, a toe hit or a heel hit, but that ball will still look like it's going out there pretty good. But if you average 220 off the tee, 12 percent is 25 yards. That's a lot of loss of distance with a three-quarter inch miss, and and in order to make up for that 25 yards, you'd have to increase your club head speed 20 or 25 miles an hour, and that's not going to happen with an extra inch. If you look at, uh, I think it was Anthony Kim, they pointed out, watch him play golf. This is one of the best players in the world, and he's gripped down on that driver two inches. He's playing about a 43-inch driver, but he's plenty long because he hits it right in the center all the time. So he maximizes the, the quality of contact so that he therefore gets the most out of his club head speed. So he may be losing 2 or 3% club head speed by gripping that driver down 2 inches, but he's gaining an 8 to 9, 10% you know, distance increase because he's hitting it right in the dead center every time. So, uh, you know, it, it really, I, I would encourage all of your listeners, I mean, guys, go out there and ladies, and grip that driver down an inch or two and swing it and watch what happens. And you're going to hit some unbelievably long, straight, solid drives because you're going to make really good square contact. So just try it. Yeah, it, it worked for me greatly. There. But uh, I, I kept forgetting, after, you know, after you told me, I kept forgetting. I tried a piece of tape on it. I finally just took it and told my guy, I said, look, take an inch out of this thing, re-grip it for me so I don't have to worry about it. Now I can just grip it normally without having to grip down. And it, it, it's made a tremendous difference in the scores. I mean, I went the other day and hadn't played in two forevers and played probably the hardest golf course in southern Indiana and shot an 82, but I had six three-putts. I mean, just if I just eliminated those, I'm, I'm shooting 76 on a golf course. Hey, I just wrote a couple of blog articles about that. You need to go read them. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, uh, yeah, well, you know, I have a complete lack of talent with putting. I don't, I don't know what it is or where it comes from or, 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 and I read everything you've done and I've tried it all, but you know what? God doesn't give you everything. He made me six, two and two sixty. I can hit the ball wherever I want to hit it. And from how far I want to hit it. But he said, no, putting, that's not going to work, boy. You're not going to get that too. So, you know, you can <laughs> Put it lighter, put it very lightly in the fingertips and thumb of your right hand and take about three or four extra seconds to look at the hole intently before you put your long ones and your short ones and, and just watch that make a huge difference. Let's well, move on talking about wedges. Yeah, I put it better today than I did the other day, and it's after you wrote that article, and I grip my putter the way I do my other clubs, squeezing with that middle finger and the uh, ring finger beside it. And I tried to take the forefinger and the thumb out of both hands out of it, and uh, it worked a lot better. My, in fact, my buddy said, "You putted pretty good. What's going on with that?" And I said, eh, "Don't say anything. You're going to jinx it. You know how it is." So. Well, if you think about anything you do with touch, you know, you you know, throwing darts or pitching pennies or or you know, like tossing your car keys over to something. And you think about when you're doing something with touch, you hold that object very, very lightly, and so your putter should be the same way. You know, that you have to hold lightly to engage the sensitivity in your fingertips. So, Well, it worked for me, and I believe if everybody will try it, it will at least improve it, if, even if it doesn't salvage it and make you a uh, tremendously great putter. But when, yeah. we were, when we were talking about wedges a while ago, one of the hot topics uh, that's been brought up again and one of the things that affects wedges more than anything are grooves. 
And once again, we're starting to hear about the USGA and grooves. Can you can you help us with that? Well, I'm going to try. The, the USGA set out a couple of years ago and started notifying manufacturers that they felt like driving accuracy was being removed from the game uh, as an important quality because the, the best players in the world were spinning the ball out of the rough so much. And so they started doing all this testing. And their goal was to try to get a better correlation between driving accuracy and, and quality of performance. Uh, you can debate that all day long whether they should have or not, but uh, that's what they chose to do. And they enlisted um, feedback from the manufacturers about grooves and this kind of thing. And, and I was quite outspoken with the USGA and with some things I wrote back then that, you know, the fact that the best 100 players in the world are kind of making a mockery of, of golf in their review or their opinion really shouldn't penalize the rest of us because we're all having to play golf courses with deep bunkers and deep rough and, and, and you know, elevated greens that are requiring more spin to, uh, you know, greens are firmer, they're faster, and, and we're requiring more spin because the clubs and the courses, they all evolve together, the ball, everything. Well, the USGA has rolled this thing back. For the first time in history, the USGA has mandated a rollback in performance of a golf club. So they haven't done it with the golf ball, despite all the pleading by Nicholas and Watson and a bunch of them. They haven't done it with drivers, and, and maybe that would have been where they should have attacked it, but uh, they did it with wedges, and, and, they, uh, and really it's every iron. The rule that it's, that's going into effect in January is any new clubs we make, uh, all manufacturers, uh, any club with 25 degrees aloft or more, which is from your 5-iron all the way to your wedges, uh, has to have a slightly modified geometry on the grooves from what we've been making. And, and the, the main thing about that, there's been thing about the V grooves and square grooves are outlawed. Square grooves are not going to be outlawed. Box grooves, square grooves, none of that's going to be outlawed. The only thing that's going to happen is that we as a manufacturer are going to have to start putting a radius to edge on our grooves. It's, I mean, this is microscopic stuff, but that groove, instead of being cut where it's got a nice, clean, sharp edge, we've got to come back in and radius the edge of that groove to dull it down a little bit. And, and that is going to reduce the amount of spin you as a golfer are going to be able to put on the golf ball. Now, that's a statistical fact. Who does this apply to? The PGA Tour will imply this rule beginning January 1st of 2010. So if you're a tour player, you're going to have to get new wedges, which a lot of them have them already. The USDA will apply this rule for their competition, uh, U.S. Open, Senior Open, Ladies Open, starting in 2010. The USDA will apply this rule to their other championships, amateurs, publics, all these, um, beginning in 2014. Any club made conforming today, made prior to the end of this year, will be <clears throat> approved and okay for any other play until at least 2024, according to the USGA. So unless you're going to qualify for one of the Opens, unless you're going to play the PGA Tour, whatever's in your bag is fine. And whatever's in your bag may, in fact, spin the ball a little better than what everybody will be making. I'm not convinced of that yet. Titleist came out and said that they're going to see a 30 to 50% reduction in spin. Well, if they do that, they'll never sell a wedge because we're not going to see anything like that reduction. Uh, but there will be a slight compromise we don't know how much yet. That's hard to quantify. And we don't know if that, if that reduction in spin will be equivalent across the board. 
we may find that a 15 handicapper won't experience any reduction in spin, but a tour player will, or vice versa. We don't know. What we do know is that when we start making wedges in 2010 <clears throat> with new models and new grooves, they will be a little different than what we make now. Eidolon has carved out a reputation as building some extraordinarily high spinning wedges, and we expect we will maintain that reputation and that our wedges will spin as good or better than anything else on the market. But from a pure physics standpoint, our grooves will be slightly different than what we make now. If you had to make a wild guess, the average golfer out there, uh, if he bought a custom set of wedges today, how long do you think they'll last before the uh, grooves become degraded enough that he notices a loss of spin? The average player who barely knows his way to the driving range, if at all, and never practices his short game is going to get ears out of, out of modern wedges. If somebody practices the bunker a lot, you know, obviously all that sandblasting wears the face down quicker. But the average golfer is not wearing out his or her wedges. Uh, the tour players wear them out. But bear in mind, these guys are making their living with their golf clubs. So if they see a little bit of change in spin, it affects their whole short game performance and they don't have to buy their golf clubs. So if they want to be superstitious and think they need new wedges every week, their sponsor company will give them new wedges every week. It's not, it's not going to affect the average golfer that much. And we have had, uh, in our four years of making wedges, five years of making wedges, we've had a few customers say, you know, I have just flat worn the face out of my idle on wedge. You know, I want to get some new ones. And we, we have a very interesting trade-in program because we credit people back. We donate those clubs to clubs for kids. But, um, but you know, it's, I've seen two or three that, that really were worn to the point where they needed to be replaced. Uh, those guys obviously were doing a lot of practice in the bunkers. They had all the chrome worn off the bottom and all the chrome worn out of the center of the face. So wow. that, that's just so rare, though. Yeah, that, it hadn't happened for me. I've been playing those uh, mine for a couple of years now, and, and I've played a lot, and, and, and fortunately for me, because I hit the drivers along and straight, I hit the wedge a, a lot. You know, a lot of courses, I'm, I'm driver wedge, six or eight, you know, holes. Yeah, and, and you're not going to wear the face out hitting normal shots. Where you're going to get face wear is practicing in the bunker, where you're putting that sand in between the ball and the face. But, but here's another thing about spin that I think we all need to realize. Those of you that have been playing golf for a long time remember back in the 80s the Tour Edition golf ball, and Greg Norman lost a couple of tournaments because that ball spun so much he backed it up off the greens. If golfers are getting frustrated because they can't spin the ball as much, the ball companies will respond to that, guys. They will not let us down. <laughs> yeah. so, and, and speaking of ball, and I would tell every golfer listening out there, I am a huge proponent of playing the highest spinning ball you can find because the money is around the greens. The, the strokes are saved around the greens. And, and all of these golf balls today are plenty long. But if you're playing a hard ball for trying to get an extra 8 or 10 yards out of the fairway, you're going to sacrifice so much control around the greens because that ball won't spin in your short shots. And, and I wrote a series of, of articles in, in the Wedge Guy, I think it was earlier this year or last year, about the science of spin. And it was a series about, you know, the club, the ball, the quality of contact, the club head speed. There are a lot of elements to spin. And, um, uh, you know, you just have to understand all of those. But there are a lot of people playing really good wedges and a really soft ball that don't spin the ball very well because their quality of contact is not good. So you have to understand you know, all of the elements of that. 
a lot of variables go into that and a lot of variables go into golf per se. One of the yep. variables that people don't seem to eliminate enough, in my opinion, is custom fitting their, their driver, their, their irons, and most importantly, their wedges, the things they hit the most. What, what, what's your thoughts on the custom fitting of wedges? Well, my thought is, first of all, I wonder why nobody else has ever done it. Um, and my thought is such that Eidolon, uh, we, we proudly claim ourselves to be the leader in custom-built wedges because we do more options for golfers than any other wedge company out there. And I think with the, with the groove thing and, and, and scoring being as important as it is, golfers should really avail themselves of custom-built wedges. Almost half of the irons sold today are sold through a custom-fitting program. great percentage of drivers sold are sold through a custom-fitting program. But then your money clubs are picked some random way off the rack. Um, you can take the shafts out of all the major brand wedges. They're all the same. They're a, they're a true-tempered dynamic gold wedge flex, and wedge flex means board stiff. Uh, dynamic gold is a 30-year-old shaft technology, uh, almost, well, almost 30, I guess it is 30, um, that is a heavy shaft. Uh, a great man, uh, majority now of golfers are playing either graphite or lightweight steel in their irons. And so when they put that off-the-shelf wedge in their hands, the first thing that happens is they have a real disconnect between the, the weight of their pitching wedge that matches their irons and the weight of their gap wedge, which they bought off the rack. And that disconnect can be as much as two ounces. Uh, it can be as much as 15, 18, 20% of the weight of the golf club. Uh, if you're playing a lightweight graphite shaft, particularly seniors and ladies playing lightweight graphite shafts, that off-the-shelf wedge is brutally heavy. You know, it's going to make it very difficult to transfer feel. Uh, the other thing is is that, that we know that most wedges are built too upright. They force the golfer to have his hands too high uh, for really quality wedge play. And, and I, again, I encourage your readers, when you're watching TV golf, watch these guys around the greens when they're hitting these little soft wedge shots and their hands are down very low. Uh, they're gripped down on the golf club because that angle sets up the proper function of the golf club through the ball and through the turf. And, and, but fa factory specifications are pretty upright on golf clubs. There's a big trend to custom fitting to go very long with golf clubs, half inch over, inch over. And this is really counterproductive to the precision play that wedge play requires. Ironically, while they're making irons long and upright, watch the tour players, and they're going to shorter and shorter putters because it promotes a more natural stroke. The arms are hanging in a natural position. So uh, I did a, uh, just did another blog post a while back, and I keep referring to my blog. There's a, a tremendous body of information there. I, I can talk to you for half an hour today, but uh, I've written over 200 articles in the last two years um, uh, for the blog. And I mean, I've covered a lot of subjects, some that are just kind of for fun and, and others that are uh, really geared to try to help people understand the game and play better. But tour players typically set their wedges one to two degrees flatter than their irons to promote this low hands position and to promote a proper release. And, and I really believe most golfers can benefit. So what Eidolon did when we created our company, we said, okay, we're going to make the best wedge heads in the business but we're going to match that up with the best quality shafts. We use the rifle spinner, which is the, the premium steel wedge shaft, and we use uh, a graphite shaft that we created ourselves called the SCORE uh, graphite shaft, which is designed specifically for wedges. It doesn't go in four irons. It goes in wedges, period. Um, and it has a flex pattern and a profile that really makes it perform at full swing speed as well as down at, at, at slower speed around the greens. 
our, our wedges are asked to do things that no other club is asked to do. It may be on this shot with your with your gap wedge. You're out in the fairway at 105. It's a full swing, 85 miles an hour. But you missed the green a little bit or it took a hop and are you underclubbed or overclubbed, and you take that exact same club on the very next swing and you're swinging it at 12 miles an hour. That's, that asks a lot of a shaft to be responsive to your feel at both of those extremes. So uh, we put a lot of emphasis on the wedge shaft, and, and as a result, we don't buy the commodity-grade wedge flex dynamic gold, which is you know, a third of the cost of, of what we put in our golf clubs. Well, it, it, we can... Uh... We could talk for 200 forevers, but we want to make this audio uh, uh, where people can listen to it. And we've gotten close to, uh, you know, 45 minutes of good information here. So we'll stop tonight for this, and we'll take uh, we'll take questions from people to create another one, and hopefully you can come back again. But uh, uh, traveling golfer, that would be me, gives its highest recommendation to Idland wedges, and I ask everybody to go to idlandgolfidland.com. And I want everybody to read thewedgeguy.com and listen to that. And uh, as as I always do, I want to give the last word to to my guests. So Terry, give us something to take with us. Well, I I think you know practice your short game, and you can do that. Uh, there's a wonderful product out there called the Almost Golf Ball, and it's a it's a lightweight. I think it's nitrogen filled or helium filled, or whatever golf ball. It's a and it reacts off the golf club on a little chip shot, very much like a real golf ball. But if you took a driver and put your biggest swing on it, it'll go about 30 yards because it's so light. But you know, practice your wedges, practice technique, practice making good contact, and be creative. Grip the club lightly when you're around the greens and on the greens. You can't hold a golf club too light. And, and set your hands down low. Uh, but practice your technique, get comfortable with it, and, and slow down. Uh, if you think about anything you do in precision, you take more time with it. Um, and and I, one of my favorite analogies is I liken your short game uh, and your golf game to that of a group of house painters come in. And they're doing big expanses of wall, and they've got that sprayer going. It's a lot of power. doesn't need a lot of precision because they're not going to get within 8 or 10 inches of the, of the framework. And then another guy's coming in there, and he's cutting in all the doors and windows, and he's working a little faster but with, with, a, with a brush and not, you know, maybe a small roller working a little slower, cutting that in. And then that last guy comes in, and he puts the detail work, and he does the trim work, and he works very slow and very meticulously. And a house painting job is very much like a round of golf. The trim work is what makes it a beautiful paint job. How detailed and accurate is the trim work? And what makes a beautiful round of golf is how accurate is your trim work, your detail work around the greens and on the greens. I like that analogy because work slow. I mean, slow motion swings, Slow motion action, light touch, you'll be amazed if you get slow around the greens how much better your precision and touch is. Doesn't get much better than that. Terry, we want to thank you for being with us, and we look forward to you coming back. Well, I appreciate you having me, Mike, and just uh, call me anytime your guys uh, position you up with some short game questions you want answers to. I'd love to come back.